in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you'd open to that book in that very important chapter, speaking about the agape love of God. It's interesting, I was asked to do a wedding a number of years ago for a family member and flew out to uh, Minnesota to do it and could tell right away because I generally, we, we require counseling, premarital counseling, and I could tell right away that that was going to be a marriage that wouldn't last. And it didn't. It didn't last a year. It, um, they didn't want me to um, speak on anything dealing with the scriptures. And so I said, oh, all right. But they, and I said, is there anything? Well, you can, you know, and I think the mother of his son said, well, how about 1 Corinthians 13? And I con conveniently forgot to mention those verses when I was doing the so-called, you know, marriage. I just refused to even bring it up um, because I realized that that was not a covenant that was going to be based on God's love. A uh, very important chapter. It's one that we really ought to memorize because it's life. It's a life-transforming chapter. So let's just look here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, starting in the end of chapter 12, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have, if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We miss we ask, Lord, that it would powerfully work in our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would continue to change us, the way we think, the way we react, how we interact with one another, what we say. Father, that you would change us. We need that desperately. And so we ask that you would do that through the empowerment of your spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us afresh and anew as we study the word and your and what you have in there, Lord Jesus, you are truth, and we thank you for truth. But this we find that we are difficult students, uh, at times not willing to listen, and at times not willing to take to heart. Uh, but we just thank you, Lord, that you never stop teaching us. So please continue to teach us, and then you never stop working in our hearts, and we pray that you would continue to move us in our understanding of what it means to express you well. As the Lord, we... We love you and we thank you for that and we give you this time and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I was at a, just briefly, I won't spend too much time, a pastor's conference, Calvary Chapel, a couple guys here um, went and it was good to have a fellowship. Um, you know, you get three guys in a room and then you're, <laughs> it's a trip. Well, anyways, uh, we, uh, I just want to say this for those who wonder about Calvary, I mean, uh, some here come from Calvary's, others don't. Um, you know, what, what are they all about? I mean, why are we a, a Calvary Chapel? And the Calvary Chapels are non-denominational. It's non-denomination, it's called a movement, a moving of the spirit, so to speak, of a bunch of churches that affiliate uh, with Calvary Chapel uh, because of what they represent. And um, and it's amazing what you find on the internet because there's always somebody slamming Calvary Chapel one way or another. That the thing that we always walk away with as we gather together, there was over a thousand guys there, and um, is that their, their desire is to be true to the word of God, the inerrancy of scripture, expositional preaching, um, and it's a very solid movement in the Lord. And they reinforce that every time because I look. You know, are they going to be true to what they say that they are? And they always are. And so we walk away getting nine sermons, uh, well-fed in the Lord, 
but also with Good Sweet Fellowship. And they emphasize time and time again that there's, they don't in any way dictate what we do as a church. Like this, you know, we have autonomy, so to speak. Um, and they don't want it to be denomination in any ways that it would get organized. But what they want is just the movement of the spirit. Very good. And I'm very pleased to see that they're remaining true to the scriptures and true to what they believe the church should be all about. And I just want to say that as a kind of an encouragement to you that we are part of a very solid, um, very solid group of believers. So here we are. We're in 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, Paul put this chapter in. Actually, the Holy Spirit wrote it because obviously of all the problems that this church was having. I think one of the things you could define about this church in Corinth was that it didn't have a lot of love. Uh, they just didn't care. And, they, and just sort of like the world, you know, uh, and they just didn't have a lot of love. So obviously it was a big problem in the church, and Paul was writing to them to get them straightened around in their thinking. Um, and so you wanted to write to them about love. And he was really writing about what God is like. But I just want to read point one. It says, perhaps... One of the biggest things we find lacking in the church today is a true expression of God's agape love toward one another because of the difficulty we find in putting it into practice. And I don't know about you, but it's not something easily put into practice. And then I go and I say this, we are commanded to love one another for this very reason. We are without excuse. If we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, then we must, through his divine power, make every effort to add to our faith a genuine expression of his agape love toward one another. I believe what the Lord is doing, even in these latter days when the world is so angry, and even the church in a lot of ways, so arrogant and angry and full of itself in a lot of what it does, I believe what the Lord is doing in these days, as he has done since the time of Christ, is to make us aware that God has called us to be a people contrary to what the world is. He's called us to be a people who are defined by agape love. And if we want to ignore this chapter and not really even consider applying it to our lives, then we're basically ignoring the character of God. We're ignoring what God expects from his people to express toward one another. And those of us who have problems along these lines, depending on how you were raised, depending on how you've been sinned against, depending on whatever it might be, those of us who have problems along these lines have a big problem. <laughs> and it's something that God wants to change in you through the power of his spirit. And that's something we must think about. And so there are going to be some challenges as we move along here as we look specifically at these things. That's why I said when, at that wedding when they wanted me to read this chapter, I looked at them and I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind I'm thinking there is no way I'm going to express this kind of truth into hearts that are not willing to apply those truths to their lives, let alone their marriage, let alone their relationships, those kind of things. And sometimes I just really don't like reading the chapter when it comes to those things because of the lack of thought that goes behind what these, these words really mean. And so we're going we're gonna to look into it. When we talk about agape love, what we're doing here when we read these things is God defining himself in the scriptures. When he writes this way, he is defining who he is. And so when we read those words, we're reading God expressing himself to us on what his love is like. And that's what he's doing here. And so he uses 15 verbs to describe what it is like and what it isn't like. Uh, and we know that a verb is an action word and it expresses action, condition, or state of being. And so he lists seven positives and the rest are negatives. In other words, agape love boils down to three simple, profound truths, and then there are some that come from that. And the first thing that he says here when he's speaking to these incredible, he says that it is patient, and that it is kind, and that it loves the truth. And so we're going to look at that a little bit about patience and kindness and what that means. And then those negative characteristics obviously are what poison agape love and what it really means. And so what God is saying is this, and I'll just kind of go down through this. He says, I am patient, I am kind, I do not envy, I do not boast, I am not proud, I am not rude, I am not self-seeking, I am not easily angered, 
I keep no records of wrong, and I do not delight in evil. My love is not polluted by any of those things. And that's God. Now listen, when God says that I love you, this is the kind of love that he is expressing toward us. An individual that says that I don't think that God loves me is an individual that will not accept the truth of God working in their hearts, working in their lives, and accepting them for who they are through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so for somebody to say that means, and I often look like, well, what makes you so special that God doesn't love you, right? What sets you apart? You know, you who, who claim to know Christ as your Lord and say something, what makes you so special that God would not love you but love everybody else? And so when we look at these things, we understand that this is the kind of love that is expressed toward us. He says that I am patient toward you, that I am kind toward you, that I am a God of truth, that I do not envy or boast, or I'm not proud or rude or self-seeking or easily wrong. I keep no records of wrongs, and I certainly don't rejoice in evil. What I do rejoice in is the truth. And it's interesting when we look at this because, and I say that, and we'll get into this a little bit. So he gives us a foundation concerning that when he says that it is patient and kind and it rejoices in the truth. And in this foundation comes forth protection, trust, hope, and perseverance. And we're going to kind of open that up a little bit as we move along. So here's a question for you. If someone were to play back a uh, video, you know, uh, of your daily interaction with people this past week, <laughs> especially in your relationship with your family, would you be saddened or even horrified at your lack of love toward them by what you've said and by what you've done? If someone were to show you that, how would you react? Uh, unkind words, walls that were put up, um, profanity. I'm amazed at the words that will come out of a spouse's mouth toward another that are profane. Uh, amazes me. I don't understand it. And so if somebody were to play back a tape, how did you do this past week? That's a question we need to ask ourselves, right? See, this is the thing with about applying the... I, about applying the truth of God's word to our lives. I mean, either we're serious about it or we're not. Either we're asking the Holy Spirit to change us, either we have that spirit of repentance wanting that, or we're just, what does he say here? We, we, we are nothing and we amount to nothing, and we're just like this noisy clanging of a cymbal. And, and so that's a question you should ask yourself as we look into these scriptures. How did you do this past week? What defines your life and how you interact toward one another? And is this something you want to change? Are you tired of it? Is it making a train wreck out of your relationships? Those kind of things. And it's something we need to ask ourselves. We're told about a number of things about God enabling us. You see, we can't do it in our own power. We've got to depend on the Holy Spirit to do that through us, right? And so he tells us a number of things, like in first, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us what the spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. And that word love there is agape love. And he said, I have put my spirit, who I am, how I define myself, in you. And it's something that I want to be expressed through you. I didn't give you that timidity that keeps you from doing that, but I've given you power, love, and self-control. And so God tell, tells us those things, tells us he's put this kind of love in us. And then we know, too, what's interesting with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, almost mirror 1 Corinthians 13 in its definition of agape love. You ought to compare the two. Very interesting when you look at those things, almost mirror one another. And it's not a love that we should think of as turning on or off like a spigot. It's one that should come forth from us just naturally. And the Lord will do that if we allow him to do it. 
and you just think of different people and how you've reacted to people and what comes out of your mouth and, and you think about where we've been and then we think about where we're going and we must ask ourselves, is my character changing or am I still the same person I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago as far as my interaction with individuals and what I say? But let's look at these first two positive aspects of agape love. We're going to open it up some more as we go down through concerning these things. So let's look at uh, these first couple. And I'll just read that once again. It just it, Love is patient and love is kind. And so right away, you have two foundational things about love. And we're going to kind of open that up. I have here in the back of the outline, God's agape love is seen most powerfully in the self-sacrificing countenance of quiet patience and firm, unwavering kindness toward one another that is to arise, notice this, rise above any valid or invalid reason to act otherwise. And we have lots of reasons to be nasty towards somebody. But it's to, we are to rise above that. And, it, and then I just put in, it requires us to die to self so that Christ may be exalted in the negative circumstances that could easily justify our not wanting to be patient, kind, or truthful. Uh, what does it take to push your button? That's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> what does it take? Now, invariably, when I'm studying stuff like this, God gives me opportunity to put it into practice. And invariably, I don't do well. <laughs> and, then I, and then the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. Well, I just thought you were studying about this. was, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was always an automobile incident or something like that. But, uh, we've got to think about these things as we look through it. Let's look at patient love. What is patient love? It's a silent expression of God's love through us is what it is. It's, it's, it's uh, almost silent expression. It's quiet yet powerful, passive yet active because of what it does not do. Patient love. Um, there are some that are really quick. They have an acerbic tongue, right? And they're really quick to just say something negative, uh, cut somebody down, put them in their place, that kind of thing. And the tendency for those kind of people is to just almost like they have no self-control, to just let people know what they're, what they're thinking. And we're told of agape love that it is patient. In other words, it holds the tongue. It's very important to hold the tongue. Um, it's quite powerful. It's passive yet active, but it does not subside in anger or vengeance or slander or gossip or anything else that would serve to hurt the other person. That's patient love. And that's something that's really important. It holds the tongue. It's so easy to not hold the tongue, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm, once again, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not picking on marriages, but I think probably the, the, the biggest or not the strongest illustration of agape love and whether or not a person's willing to put it into practice. Um, I sit in situations, and I've been in situations, even family situations, where I... I sit there grieving over what I'm hearing. Grieving. Because of the lack of God's grace. You We've been given quite a, um, a responsibility as believers to express the character of Christ. Tremendous responsibility. I wonder sometimes if we get it. I, sometimes I don't. Um, that we are to be a powerful witness to him by allowing his spirit to express himself through us to bring health into the life of someone else by what we say to them and by how we love on them. 
and you have this patience. And the patience is something, and some people are patient and some aren't. It's something that we're add to our faith. It's that, it's that uh, you know, that steadfast endurance, that ability to be able to just rise above the situation and not respond in a negative manner that could really just kind of exacerbate the problem. And so here we have, it doesn't subside in anger or vengeance. It practices patience. It's long-suffering for those who don't deserve it. And that's the thing. Because when we feel that somebody deserves it, we say, well, okay, that's it, man. You deserve it, so I'm going to hammer on you, and I'm going to come at you. And see, the thing is, it's easy to do that. And sometimes I want to do that, if not all of us, at one point or another. And it's, and it's doing that towards somebody. And, and the thing is, as a challenge, are you willing, perhaps for the first time in a very long time, to express this attribute of love towards someone in your life that has put you over the edge in a constant and consistent manner? And the question is, are we willing? You see, the thing is with, with all this is it's a conscious decision to express this towards someone. It's, it's, it's making a decision to be this way. As much as you don't want to be that way, as much as you want to just lash out and just assert yourself in, in everything else that's screaming for you to do, are you just willing to say, okay, I'm changing here through the power of the Spirit. God, give me everything I need to be able to just not open my mouth anymore in ways that just are damaging to that person that I've been called to love. And that's patience. It's interesting um, about patience, and we're in, we haven't gotten here uh, yet in Exodus. But you know, when, when, when Moses came down off the mountain in Exodus 32, and they're all partying and stuff like that, and they're, you know, the, the words there are that they actually had gotten into some promiscuity, all kinds of different things, and there's thousands of them partying, and Moses has a heart for the people, and he sees them, and in his anger, he breaks the stone tablets, right? Smashes him to smithereens. And, and God said, I'm, that's it, they're done, they're stiff-necked, I'm over with. And Moses said, no, don't do that. Take my life, don't take their lives, Lord. Please don't do that. And God withheld because of his agape love. And then we get in chapter 34 where God once again tells Moses after he disciplines them to chisel out two more tablets so he can write on them. And then this is what the Lord said. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaiming his name, the Lord, that is Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, his proper name. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Here we have a compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a patient God. And that's who he is. That's what he is toward us. Well, let's look at the next one. Second positive expression is kindness. It's amazing the power of kindness that we can have toward one another, being kind. It's amazing. Um, and that's a very important part of this. Uh, it's, it's kind love is firm, it's consistent and unwavering. And it displays an attitude of being caring and nice and sympathetic and generous and gentle, and gentle toward others. Kindness. You want to change a relationship that you think is a shipwreck that will never be healed? Change it by being kind toward that person. That's agape love. Kindness is powerful. Uh, both patience and kindness represent two sides of God's attitude toward mankind. Romans 2, 4, do you, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads to repentance? Realize that God is kind. That's who he is. And he wants us to be kind people toward one another, which means that our words are kind, our actions are kind. It's coming alongside with a nurturing kind of an attitude to help that individual to their better good and whatever is necessary. It's found a thousandfold in mercy, this kindness and this patience demonstrated by his withholding of his wrath 
And so why should we be people of wrath? Why not be people of mercy in what we say? But this, too, was difficult to express. Just a couple of illustrations. A third century of biblical scholar Origen said that kind love means that love is sweet to all. And then later on, a century later, Jerome spoke of what he called the benignity of love. So much Christianity is good, but unkind. But unkind. Anybody would just walk into a group of believers and enter a church that's just really kind of unkind? And some of us experience that. What is up with that? Or I love this kind of illustration. You know, Philip II of Spain, he was one of the more religious uh, of them all, and, and yet he founded the Spanish Inquisition and thought that he was serving God by massacring those who thought differently than him. And he was one of the more religious ones. Yeah, so he goes out and he massacres because they all thought differently than he. You know, and isn't it interesting how even in the same mentality, when somebody angers us or somebody we feel deserves that kind of an expression of unkindness and lack of patience and everything else, how we'll go like with the Spanish Inquisition and wanted to massacre them, massacre them just because we feel like we're justified in doing it. And God has called us to a higher calling than that. And I'll tell you, we can't do it on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to change in what we say and what we think. But praise God that he gives us the power to be able to do that. But we are without excuse when it comes to expressing this. We are without excuse. And that's the beauty of the power of the word of God because he's saying you are without excuse. This is what I want from you. And are you willing to put it into practice? How difficult it is for us. This Greek word for kindness means to be useful and serving and gracious and a firm act of goodwill toward others. And I think the biggest attitude that is missing with that act of kindness is that word criticism and how critical we are. That acerbic tongue, like I was saying, that, out of con that, that attitude of wanting control. So you have two, two very... It's nice when you see the list starts out with two very important attributes, patience and kindness. And this is what he says. This is what he emphasizes about himself toward us. And then this is what he says then. He says, I'm going to give you a list of what it is not. And I want you to understand this list of what it is not. And we're going to go down. And I just want to read verses 4 to 5 once again. Um, and he goes on, it, it, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong, and it does not delight in evil. And so let's look at that a little bit and see if any of this matches the way we think and how we have, our attitude is toward one another. Point three, God's agape love cannot act contrary to his nature. To behave in an unloving way means that we behave in ways that are not Christ-like. Well, that's a no-brainer. That is, the walk in ways of the sinful nature, uh, uh, when we do this, it is the walk in ways that the sinful nature desires over and above what the Holy Spirit's desire to express his fruit of love through us. So it's a matter of whether or not we want the sinful nature just to express itself over and above God's agape love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Is it? Do we want his love to be made complete in us? I don't know where people are. I don't know where you are in your relationships. I don't know where you are in your marriages. I don't know where you are in, in family members, brothers, or sisters. I don't know where you are concerning what you're interacting with because I'm not living with you day by day. So I don't know where you are and how you interact with them. But if it's not Christ-like, and if it's not expressing the character of God's agape love, you had better repent and ask God to change your attitude toward that individual because we are without excuse. Now, is that blunt or what? Absolutely, because it needs to be. And so once again, we self-examine, right? We say, what am I like? What, how am I interacting? And if we're blind to what our, our sinful nature is doing, then we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and ask him to bring the heavy hand of conviction down, especially when our words are damaging and full of profanity or whatever else seems to be expressed through us because we feel justified 
in doing those things. And God is saying, I do not want that to be a part of my child. I don't want it. And we live in such an angry culture today and an angry people. And you can't, there's so much slander and gossip. Even the talk shows and all that, it's all nothing but slander and gossip. Where are we? And that's why we need a church where we can come into, and it's a safe haven where we know that our words are going to be kind, our attitude is one of patience, where we're going to express the character of Christ in ways that bring health to the individuals that come into that body of Christ. So here we're being challenged as we look at this chapter. So you have two positive expressions of patience and kindness, and they're followed by seven verbs that indicate how agape love does not behave. Uh, Galatians 5, you know, 16 and 17, so I say live by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so they do not, they, they do not know what you want, you know, do like you should. So you've got the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, simple nature, saying, I don't want to be loving, I don't want to have joy, I don't want to be patient, I don't want to be kind, I don't want to do any of those things. The Holy Spirit's saying, yes, I do want you to do those things. I want them to be a part of your, of your character and your sin nature saying, but I would rather not. And so they're in conflict with one another. And so we have this negative list in 1 Corinthians 13 representing the sinful nature. And it too almost mirrors the list of the sinful nature in Galatians 6, if you would look to. So the question to ask is, you know, if I choose to act this way, then if I choose to act contrary to the Spirit, then how can I justify that? Why am I doing that? What's going on? Surely, is it really sin? And the answer, obvious, is it is, which requires repentance and a turning from whatever attitude exists in your relationship. Now, it's interesting. We had a guy speaking, and we had a number of speakers. We had a president of uh, um, a Bible college in Israel speak. It was a Jew who came to know Christ, and he said, why didn't anybody ever tell me about the Messiah? The Lord draws him to salvation He's a Jew, well-spoken guy, feels like he needs to open up a Bible college in, the, in Netanya, which is right along the coast, a beautiful, beautiful area. He opens up this Bible college, and they have a ministry to both Jews and Arabs, and they're drawing Jews and Arabs to Christ. And he shows a picture up there. Remember, they have such a hatred. We're always looking at the hatred that they have toward one another. There's no, certainly no agape love there, you know, the sons of Ishmael, Right? You know, and they're certainly their cousins. And he says, look, can you tell me which one's a Jew and which one's an Arab? And he's got these pictures of men and women there, students there. You can't tell the difference between us because we're cousins. Right? And he's saying that people are coming to Christ in droves. Don't listen to what the world says. That's powerful. And it's all based on the love of Christ and toward the soul. Another guy speaks from Syria, and we can't tape him or anything, and his family's in danger and all kinds of stuff, all the conflict. It, it's amazing. You know, just to, to, and he's just talking about what it's like to live out of fear in that environment. And he speaks along those lines. You know, he, he talks about his father, and his father, and he said as a kid, you know, my dad was just such a, an Arab, a strong relationship with Christ. He said, we'd come up to the border. He said, they're all, you know, the, the AK-47s and everything else like this. And one guard comes up and he says, it's really amazing stories. What's in the bag? You know, and they're holding that. And he's talking to him. What's in the bag? And he said, I'm sitting in the back seat with my mom. And I'm going, oh, dad, dad, don't, please don't do it, dad. Don't do it, you know. And the dad looks at the guard, you know. This is in Syria, right? And he said, Bibles? Bibles. What do you have Bibles for? And the guy shares the gospel with them. And you know what the guy did? Would you come out and pray with us? And he gets out. And he prays with them. One story after another after another. 
powerful. What are we doing getting caught up in the pettiness? We can be such a petty people, fighting our little battles, you know, justified in those things. And, and I'm afraid that when we think that way and get caught up in that way, we are losing sight of the power of God working in a world, saving souls. It's just incredible. And what are we doing getting caught up in the pettiness of whatever our little lives bring, you know, living in this opulence and things like that? It's enough to make you sit and take pause. Challenging. And there was another guy that was speaking, and maybe some of you, his name is Jack Kranz, and he's not far from there. He's been in prison ministry since he was 25 years old. He's been over 40 years now in his late 60s. And he's got this passion for the prisoner, for the lost, going in and expressing the love of Jesus Christ to those in prison. And oh, he spoke a powerful sermon on repentance, you know, and making sure that we are people who are right with our Savior so that we can be salt and light in a world that desperately needs that. And if we're all caught up in pettiness because we feel justified in acting whatever ungodly way we act toward one another because we feel like that our our, our you know, how can you talk to me that way? And how can, you, how can you treat me that way? And on and on and on. It's so self-absorbed. And Christ is saying, rise above it. You rise above it. I'll give you the power to rise above that. And I'll give you the power to be able to express me to those in desperate need of it. No matter what part of the world we might be living in. But this man, Jack Cran, says, repentance is the lordship of Christ in our lives moment by moment. That's powerful. Lord, I was unkind today. I was not patient today. I spoke to my spouse in this way, my husband or wife, and it was such an ungodly reaction to them. Have mercy on me, Lord, and give me the strength to be able to go and make it right. Or a co-worker or somebody else. It's a humbling of ourselves. You see, this is the thing with it. It's a dying into self. Are you kidding me? Christ, when he hung on the cross, died to self in order to draw us a, a salvation that has given us all the riches that we could ever expect to live in a kingdom that is beyond our comprehension, all based on the agape love of God. And that's how he's patience and kindness and drawing us and I am not these things. It's all based on the truth. Now let's just look down through these things as we go on. Is, is, our biggest struggle is allowing God to teach us to get our eyes off of serving self and serving others. And when we look at these negative attitudes, they all center on self is what they do. Agape love does not have the nature of envy. And we look at that, it's simply put, envy is jealousy, obviously. And why it's so damaging and why it's contrary to agape love is for several reasons. One, uh, there are two kinds of envy. One covets what the other has. Or the second desire, one covets that whatever that person has loses what they have. So that we may celebrate the fact that they no longer have whatever that might be. And so the person who is jealous of another does not seek their greater good. That's what jealousy does. So why not die to envy? What the heck are we envious about anyway? I don't know. Does it really matter? The Lord says, listen, agape love does not envy. It doesn't even care to envy. It doesn't covet. One of those Ten Commandments, the last one. Another one is it doesn't boast, and it's a rare word in the Greek. It means to behave as a bragger, to be a windbag in that word, you know. And we know some windbags. It's just self-centered actions that exalt self. It, doesn't, it is not possible to love and boast at the same time. It doesn't serve others. It serves self. Consequently, that person who boasts will not act in the better interest of someone else because they're too self-centered. So you got the envy and you got the boasting. And then it says it's not proud. It's not proud. It's not inflated with its own importance. 
And oftentimes that's what happened when we, happens when we, we want to lash out at somebody. We're kind of inflated with our own importance. And I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt to be sinned against. And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt when somebody says some very unkind things to us or their actions have caused us problems or damage. I'm not saying that that doesn't hurt. But we have a choice in how we react to that. And anyway, maybe it's as simple as this. Lord, your way or my way? So it's not proud, it's puffed up, carrying the overtones of arrogance. Man can't get puffed up because they love themselves more than others. That's when they get puffed up. And they become nothing and they gain nothing. How about agape love is not rude? That's another one, isn't it? It does not behave. When somebody that's rude does not behave graciously. And the verb means to behave shamefully or disgracefully, rude. And we all know what rudeness feels like. Listen, if any of these things define us, just pray that you'll have such conviction that the Holy Spirit will just hammer you, make you so miserable that you can't even think until you fall on your knees and cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. It's not rude. How can we be rude toward one another? That rudeness, the word itself, how could we ever be rude towards somebody? Talk about arrogance. Was Jesus Christ ever rude? Never. And God is not rude toward us. And this other one, it's not self-seeking. It does not insist upon its rights. That is one that's very hard for us because we insist upon our rights. How could you say that to me? You know, when you think about not self-seeking, it's a full expression of what Christian love is all about. It does not believe that finding oneself is the highest good, right? I don't even know if they talk that way anymore, finding oneself. You know, I think I'll go off into the mountains, skip in the hills a little bit, you know, and find myself. You know, so it's not enamored with self-gain or self-justification or self-worth. And then agape love is not easily angered. It's not easily angered. I know some have anger problems. It stems probably from many years. Maybe, maybe it was the way you were treated when you were a kid. Maybe you were a bully when you were a kid and you never got rid of the bully attitude. Oh, I wanted to beat up on the bully. They were always too big. <laughs> it's not easily angered. There's a question. How are you with your anger? Does it just boil up? Before you know it, it's off your tongue. Get on your knees and cry out to the Lord to take that away. It doesn't lose its temper. It simply means that the one who loves is not easily provoked in anger by those around him or her. It doesn't become exasperated with people to the point of screaming and hollering and ranting and raving. That's anger. It doesn't have any of that. And then a golf again, love. Now, this is another one. Keeps no record of wrongs. Wow. You know, what's the list? And when you pull the list out, is it falling down onto the floor? <laughs> you know. <laughs> sheet after sheet after sheet of record of wrongs. Wow. You know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I remember when I was a kid, I can't believe they did that. Keeps no record of wrongs. Is that possible? Some have been wounded deeply. I'm telling you, without the power of the Spirit, some have been hurt, sinned against in terrible ways. Without the power of the Spirit, it's impossible not to keep a record of wrong, but in the power of the Spirit, it is possible to forget, to forgive, and to move on, and to allow that pain to become so distant that you can barely remember what it was like. You know, is it possible? Yeah. 
the mighty working of the power of the Spirit is possible. And we pray for one another and we come along one another with patience and kindness and in the truth. And we come along and we help people to work through whatever that is so that they can finally be set free. You know, these things, I'm not saying it just comes so easily. I don't believe it does. It's so contrary to the, to the spirit. It's so contrary. Our sin nature, these, this agape love is contrary to who we are. That God would not write verses like that that were not possible for this to become the defining uh, attribute of who we are. And it's a matter of whether or not you want it bad enough. If you want to hold on to, the, to, the, to whatever it is, that's your choice. But if you want to finally be set free from those things, that anger, that record of wrong, that bitterness, and everything else, if, if you want to be set free from that, you just turn to the Savior and cry out to him and say, I don't know how to do this but I know that you'll bring people along to help you work through these things so I can finally, finally not have it consume me any longer because I would rather have your agape love express itself through me than whatever that sin nature and the nature of the world wants to in expressing itself. I don't want those things in my life anymore. Jesus, for your mercy. You know, when we think about this, no, it, it, really, it literally says that, that, that love does not reckon the evil. It doesn't reckon evil. In other words, love cannot think on evil or take notice of it to the point of seeking vengeance or retribution or whatever it is. And we know that just in Christ, Christ does not count men's sins against, against him. And the one who, who loves does not take notice of the evil. He doesn't take notice, keeps no record. Like Psalm 130, if you, Lord, kept record of sins, Lord, who could stand? And that's often tell somebody, who among us can stand, not one of us? Well, as we, as we come to a close, and this is what I love about what he does with these things. We, let's read verse 7. And it says, and I love this, it says, it rejoices with the truth, end of verse 6, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I want to open this up a little bit. Not a lot, but I just want to read point four. God's agape love is meant to be a constant in our lives. It always, right? It is an always love that gives us protection, trust, hope, and perseverance through him. In turn, and listen to this, his love through us offers to others that same protection, trust, hope, and perseverance so that the relationships that relations are kept healthy and strong, marriages are kept healthy and strong, and the body of Christ is kept healthy and strong for his honor and glory. You see, our love, or God's love for us, offers these things, this trust, hope, and perseverance and, and protection. And when we start to express his attributes, that God they love, guess what it offers those that we're loving? After a while, what it does is it, it brings about in them a trust in you, uh, an understanding that you'll do whatever is necessary to protect them. It brings about hope, knowing that your actions are actions that I can count on because you have my better interests in mind. And it brings about all that through him, knowing that that protection, trust, hope, and that perseverance are all based on your character because you have proven that you are a person who expresses agape love God's way and not your way. You know, that's why I'd say it, it helps marriages to be strong. When one knows that the other is acting in their best interests, that they truly love them, that they're kind. Oh, that powerful word, kindness. That, they, that they're doing everything they can to uh, protect. It always protects that they're doing everything that they can to, to serve, that they're, they're genuine. And oh, it just keeps marriages strong and then relationships strong and churches are that way. When we know that when we leave, there isn't a lot of slander, if any gossip going on or anything like that, 
that they've just actually just been a part of the body that truly loves them and wants to do what they can to help them out. So I'll just kind of finish up. It said four more things. Love is strong, believing, hopeful, and enduring, and that kind of person is safe to be around. You ever, it took me a long time to know who, when somebody was safe and somebody wasn't. And I learned to avoid people who aren't safe because they never really did me any favors to begin with. And so I started to pick and choose. And unfortunately, we even have to do this within Christian circles. Start to pick and choose those who are safe to be around. And so someone who's defined by patience, kindness, and honesty is someone you feel safe around, like I said, uh, because their patience, kindness, and honesty will be, have behind it that unflinching desire to protect you. Uh, it evokes in the recipient the kind of uh, a strong trust toward the giver of this kind of love which instills hope knowing that that kind of love is a true and sincere part of their character because I know they have my best interests in mind, which bring about perseverance to face life struggles, knowing that there are those who are going to come alongside to help me through these difficult times because they are genuine in their expression of kindness and goodness and love toward me. And that's what God meant by that. That's what God love does. It's what it does. It's not staying in a state of warm fuzzies. It's making a decision to be this way for the safety and welfare of others. Agape love is action with the better interest of others in mind. Let's keep that in mind. There's a challenge for us that if your life is far from this, it's time that it changes so that we can glorify our Lord and our Savior. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and the power of your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you are just ever teaching us about who you are and what you require of us, Father. I pray for a fresh anointing upon everybody here. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just work in our lives in powerful ways to bring you honor and glory. Lord, as we face another week, keep us strong, Father. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on you. And we thank you, Father, for the challenges even of this day. We love you very much. And oh, Father, we thank you for your love toward us. And we pray that you are honored and glorified as we gather together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.